A sort of autobiography. Part one. Acting up to the tyranny of a rural education. 1967. I'd got a bit fed up carrying around Lila Berg's book, Rising Hill, Death of a Comprehensive School. This was my protest, carrying it around, quoting passages from it to other kids. Though my secondary school, Clare Secondary Modern, was just a few years away from comprehensive education at 14, it was doubtful I'd witness it before I'd left school. Of course, I wasn't expecting the freedoms of a city comprehensive to suddenly materialise the sort of school documented in Berg's book, but hoped for a rush of kindness and understanding of new times. Michael Duane, head of Rising Hill Comp, was my hero, a martyr to the cause. It wasn't until many years later I found out he'd taught in a school in Lowestoft, so City versus Silly Suffolk wasn't exactly true. Yet I'm sure it was easier to get away with cruelty where the majority of pupils were bussed in from the outlying villages, where 20% of fathers still worked on the land and tipped their caps to the boss, and where headmasters employing their wives was common practice. However, the dark days of my schooling were about to end. A young English teacher had arrived at our secondary mod, and he loathed the Victorian regime at the school. Canings were daily routines. Corporal punishment was weaved into the school's fabric. Children were variously hit with canes, rulers, planks of wood and Brussels sprout stalks. And then there were Aston's punches to the head. Three of us handed in our prefect badges when a boy was savagely caned. A deep laceration across his hand. Big Al backed us up. Alan Byford, our new young first-rate teacher, Big Al, spent over 50 days refusing to speak to any other member of staff from head down to protest at what he found at the school. The attitude of the school was summed up by this event. One PE teacher was a brute. He had purchased, on behalf of the school, a new trampoline. We were given strict instructions as to how to behave on it. Unfortunately, Sergeant bounced a little too high and came crashing down on his face, catching his nose in the side webbing. Blood poured from his nose. Get your bloody nose off my trampoline now, shouted the PE teachers as he manhandled the lad off the apparatus and kicked his arse out of the hall. It was customary for both staff and pupils to buy a present for a leaving member of staff. There was no such present for our PE teacher when he left. We were told in assembly that our PE teacher was leaving, and he was asked to say a few words to the school in his departure. I came, I taught, I left, he said. (laughs) And we... All the children assembled there, stood up and cheered and clapped. 
It was a wonderful act of rebellion. Eventually, our new English teacher must have found an ally, for he put on two plays at the school, a thing that had never happened there before. First there was the Peasants' Revolt, ironic, eh? And then the following year there was A Christmas Carol. In the first play I played Third Peasant. I had but one line, stood next to a manure heap. Indeed, some technical bod had invented a means whereby the manure heap gave off steam, and though its papier-mâché body wasn't entirely convincing, at 14, in that school, shit on the stage was really something. The following year, I was cast as Scrooge in Dickens' seasonal classic, A Christmas Carol. Learning all those lines and coordinating my movements as I spoke to the back of the hall was the one moment of enlightenment in all my eleven years in school. Education evaporated and my learning began. It's hard to imagine, perhaps, but for the first fifteen years of my life I was asleep in a sort of daydream. I hadn't suddenly found acting, I had found methods of learning through drama. Many years later, on a PGCE course, I wrote a dissertation which asserted that drama could and should be a vehicle for teaching across the curriculum and should not be taught as subjects in themselves, like taking apart tap dancing, as though tap dancing is a subject in itself. Plays have the world as their subject, otherwise drama is just light entertainment. By some fluke, having failed my GCE O-levels, I was admitted to Sudbury Grammar School, where my brother had been educated. He was by this time in his second year at university. I joined the fifth form. I hated the school. Instinctive in reaction, class separated me from this institution. A secondary mod lad in the wrong place. Don't get me wrong, I really like the other students, but loathe the pomp. Teachers in black gowns, cadets, which I opted out of, Victorian school desks and the smell of maleness. My secondary mod had been co-ed. So I skived off many a class, many a day. Once, a whole group of us were caught hitchhiking out of town at 11am in the morning. My only... Outstanding recollection of Sudbury Grammar School is a cross-country run. Three of us conspired to leave the race at the corner of the first lane and hide up in one lad's house. His father was a chemist and in a cupboard was a bottle of pure alcohol. Fortunately, we had the sense just to take a sip or two. We rejoined the race, staggering back and forward as if fatigued and got away with our wheeze. The bus went spinning around and around on the way home. Even the fag I puffed at the back of the bus tasted horrible. No one really picked up on my interest in drama, and it was a whole year later, 1970, a young, knowledgeable careers officer pointed me towards a drama course which required no formal qualifications. Entry was by audition and interview. 
I can't remember my audition piece, but I can remember my stumbling nerves. Somehow I was offered a place on the one-year course. Perhaps it was because they were short of males. There were just three of us and eight females. Colchester Tech and Art School, Colchester Institute now, is a large rambling college 25 miles from Clare, Suffolk, where I was brought up. And as Beeching had axed the line to Clare, my father had to be committed to driving me 10 miles to Sudbury at 6 every morning to catch the train. Later, there would be more driving for him, as there were more evening and weekend rehearsals. Details of what were required items to undertake the course arrived in the post. Things like black tights and black top and a lancer's jockstrap. I plucked up courage and entered a rather traditional men's outfit as and asked, Have you got a lancer's jockstrap, please? I asked, placing the official list on the counter. The gentleman smiled leaned in and said, It's a typing error, sir. You require a dancer's jockstrap. Whatever the setbacks, I was there for enrolment. The course was intense, and this is what it covered. Dance, dramatic movement, play production, improvisation, history of drama, history of theatre, public speaking, poetry speaking, English language and literature... In fact, there was even more than this. We had the history of costume, costume design, set design, prop making, stage makeup, using masks, fencing and gym training. Twice a term, there were assessments, a Shakespearean soliloquy, put together a dance and perhaps recite a poem. There was laughter and tears all the way as I grappled with the work. The first play we presented was under Milk Wood, where we each played several parts. I was Verishly, Mog Edwards, Mr Ogmore, Organ Morgan and the Reverend Eli Jenkins. In the second term, our most ambitious production was Brex, the good person of Sichuan. I played Mr Shu Fu, the nasty old pimp. To quote the local paper, Rupert Mallin made a good deal of Mr Shufu. That's it, my first review. Other productions included As Good As New and the Primer Miss Jean Brodie. I played the soppy Gordon Lowther. At the same time as these productions, there was an original musical being staged, Mr Reject, the creation of jazz pianist Reg Webb, together with dance presentations. One of these presentations was at the University of Essex, and halfway through my tutor shouted at me, You're tight! You look like a penguin! Pull them up! My dad had given me his black tights. He had once done some review-type shows back in the late 40s or early 50s, and to save money, had given me his old hose. Unfortunately, these tights had feet in them, so there was a tendency for the tights to slowly slip down, and indeed my fellow students were holding back tears of laughter as I waddle off, penguin-like, to adjust my clothing. Nesta Slack and Charles Butler ran the course, 
and directed most of our shows with understanding, patience and kindness. All too soon the course was over. Without formal qualifications, I couldn't pursue the acting. In truth, it wasn't the acting I hankered after, but the whole dramatic package, with drama as a means of learning about the world. One thing was certain. My father had had enough of driving me around, yet my parents weren't sure what to do with me. At 17, I was sent off to live with my brother Simon, who was at the University of Liverpool. I was only at his flat a week and then rented out a room in Toxteth. For a short while I got a job as usher at the Everyman Theatre and sat through many showings of John McGrath's Soft or a Girl, directed by Alan Dosser. Occasionally after a show I made, I made it down to the basement bistro where Adrian Henry often held court. I also joined the chorus of Unity Theatre's production of the Marais Sard. It was here that I realised I wasn't a very good actor at all. <laughs>